Thank you, Brendan. Good morning, everybody. My name's Matt, and I also am on the pastoral team here at Victory Point. And how good it is to come together as the people of God in an expression of worship on this, what we refer to as Palm Sunday, uh, the, the Sunday that sort of launches us into what we call in the church calendar Holy Week. And uh, we, we have some um, really good events uh, planned today to kind of help us as a church step into the experience this week. Um, I, I just want to remind everyone, I know Brendan will remind us of this at the end as well, but uh, everyone's invited back at 5.30, and uh, we're just going to have a big old family meal together, and it's going to be a taco dinner, and it's going to be uh, just a great time of, of fellowship and be in the body of Christ together, and we also get a chance to, to express generous blessings on Jillian Doctor and uh, her upcoming mission experience in Africa for nine or ten months beginning this summer, so I hope you can come back, and then then hopefully you could stay around because after that uh, we're just going to come in here and have a night of prayer and worship and and, um, just that's for everybody kids everybody just come on in at seven o'clock and we're just going to sing some songs and pray together and get into the word together and it's just going to be a a rich night I think that launches us into this week that we call holy week and I invite you um, as we move through this week to spend time reflecting and remembering uh, all the events that, that transpired, the, the sequence of events that led up to Jesus' uh, death on a cross and resurrection that we'll celebrate on Sunday. I invite you to come back on Friday um, at 6 o'clock as we have a Good Friday service and we remember some of those events really specifically. And then, of course, next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, um, we, we gather like we always do at 10 o'clock to, to acknowledge this amazing, incredible event that changes everything, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'd encourage you, as you interact this week with people in your neighborhood and in your workplace and at school, I mean, if, if God puts people on your heart and on your mind that, that um, maybe aren't connected with a church family anywhere, you're not sure if if they're connected even with, with Jesus, I'd encourage you like, to extend some invitation to them and invite them to come to Easter Sunday with you at Victory Point. We would love to meet new people next Sunday and welcome them uh, into our family. So that's what's happening this week. Um, today we're going to continue our journey on this series that we've been journeying through during the season of Lent called A Meal with Jesus. Grace, community, and mission around the table. And it all kind of spurs out of this, this statement that Jesus makes in Luke seven thirty four, where he says, the son of man, he's talking about himself, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, and that verse in particular ha- has become sort of the foundational verse that we've used to kind of launch into this series during Lent a meal with Jesus. And, and part of what we've invited you to do is as a church, we, we've read through or are reading through the gospel of Luke together. And I really hope that you've been doing that. I really hope uh, you've been following along in the reading plan and uh, are journeying through the gospel of Luke. I have, it, it's been just a rich experience um, to, to just sit down and read a gospel in its entirety. And uh, I, I have to admit, you know, as we've done that, especially now as we're getting near the end of the Gospel of Luke, it does seem, doesn't it, that what Robert Karras observed that we talked about the very first um, message in this series, when he observed that, you know what, in Luke's Gospel, 
It seems like Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. As I've read through the Gospel of Luke, I, I think I agree with him. Jesus spends a lot of time eating and drinking with others in the Gospel of Luke. And when he's not eating and drinking, Jesus is often using the metaphor of a meal or a feast um, you know, to, to teach, to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And as we've read through the Gospel of Luke, it's been really fascinating, at least for me, to begin to see and observe and notice just how much Jesus, um, how much kingdom bringing and life giving happens around a table with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. So much happens around the table in the Gospel of Luke. And when you think about it, that makes sense. It's such a natural discipleship setting. It's, uh, it's, it's so natural. It's something that you and I do every day. At least, I, I guess I won't speak for you, but I do. I eat every day, multiple times a day. I eat meals and I have things to drink. And it's such a natural opportunity. And, and, and what we're not suggesting in this series, A Meal with Jesus, we're not suggesting that around the table is the only way for discipleship to happen. But we are acknowledging that for Jesus... It seems like, when we read the Gospel of Luke, that a meal around the table was always viewed as opportunity. Whenever he sat across the table with others, to to Jesus it was always an opportunity to bring the kingdom and to bring life. And so kind of the big idea in this series is this. um, Sharing meals. Sharing meals with others. There it is. Was a simple yet significant way that Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. For Jesus... Meals were expressions of enacted grace, community, and mission. For Jesus, meals matter, and they should for us too. And and so alongside of this series, alongside of reading through the Gospel of Luke, um, we've, during this Lent season, we've challenged you to, to intentionally and deliberately maybe invite others to sit around a table with you across across a booth for a cup of coffee maybe, but just to, to intentionally invite others to sit with you and your family around the table. And uh, it's just been really cool to hear some of the stories, to hear some of the stories. I know Brendan shared some when he was up here teaching, and just to hear the stories word of mouth of, of how that's going and, and what that's been like, you know, for you. And I know for me, it, it's, been, um, it's been really rich. You know, I went back and I've been kind of keep like uh, since we began this series, you know, how often have I sat across the table from people who aren't, you know, my spouse or my children? And so far, I'm up to 88 people uh, during the season of Lent. Now, sometimes that's missional community. I try not to count all of them, just the ones at my table. But uh, yeah, I mean, it really adds up over the, over the course of time or, or since just this series began in, in of Lent. Um, I, I've broken bread or shared a drink with, you know, over 80 people. And I got to tell you, it's been a really rich experience. And I have I indeed experienced grace, mission, and community. I, I think the thing for me, what this challenge has done for me, is it's forced me to be more intentional and, and more aware of these opportunities. Because I, I find, if I'm honest, um, I, I think I often treat mealtime as just like fuel. Just give me some fuel for my body so I can keep going. And I miss out. I miss out on, on opportunities. I realize how often I blow through meals. And, and, and meals, I think, are gifts from God. I, I think they're, they're meant to be moments to, to pause, even for a few minutes, to eat and to rest and enjoy and commune. 
and give thanks. And I'm, I'm convicted and aware of how many times I just like multitask. Like, like I'm eating, but I'm doing other things and missing moments and opportunities just for a second or a few minutes to, to engage in life and conversation with others. So I've tried to be more um, intentional about that. I'm thinking of just even a story over spring break, like a, a week ago or so, um, I was really, really blessed, you know, to be able to go to Florida uh, for a week and visit my parents and, and have some time there. And here's one of my, my favorite pictures from that, that week, from that time. Um, what a coincidence, right? What a coincidence that that's the, that's the birthday that was totally unintentional. No, I had Levi take that because I thought that'd be funny. Um, but I'm thinking of spring break. I'm thinking of this meal that we had around a table uh, with my mom and my stepdad and, and Tori and Levi, and, and there was so much joy and so much laughter. I mean, uh, we were eating leftovers. It wasn't like a big deal. We were eating leftovers. And then, you know, I don't know if any of you have an Alexa, but like we were having fun with Alexa and we were asking Alaska, Alexa all the questions, the funny questions everyone asks Alexa. And then we were like playing music and Levi like really likes music from the 70s and the, you know, even 80s, which is awesome. And uh, so he, we were just having music play and we would laugh and then someone would say, hey, Alexa, play this. Hey, Alexa, play that. And like it was just, I, I look back on it, it was so simple but such a rich time of community and fellowship and family and grace around the table. So today, we're going to, like, of, of all the meals that we've looked at, of all the meals that we could read about in the Gospel of Luke, today, we're going to look at the meal. We're going to look at the meal. We're going to look at the, the, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And uh, as we look at that, we're going to realize that this was more than just a meal. This was an invitation and this was a gift that Jesus was giving the church uh, to remember through a meal his salvation. That meals as enacted salvation. And and that's the word, enacted. And I just want to reach back real quick to last week when Jesse was teaching. I know we had a typo on the slide. It said inactive. That was supposed to be enacted. So go back to your notes and fix that. It'll make more sense now to you. But meals as enacted salvation. So with that in mind, will you pray with me, please? Father, it is good. Like I said previously, it is good to gather on this particular Sunday as we begin this journey reflectively with Jesus into the events of what we call Holy Week. And, and one of the most significant events that happened during that week is this meal. This meal that, that we've participated in for so long. I pray that this morning that, that you would um, open our hearts and our minds and our lives to this meal in a, in a whole new way. And, and take, take us into a deep dive into understanding like, the, the amazing gift that this meal is to us. Speak to us, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me start with a question. Let me start with a question. If, if we as a church stopped celebrating communion or, or you know, the, the Lord's Supper, would it make a difference in your life? Would, I hope, like, you would say, yes, absolutely. That would be terrible. Like, that, that, would, that would not be good. That I would be missing out on something amazing. And if that's not you this morning, I'm hoping that by the time we get to the end of our time together, you're like, man, I need this meal. I need this meal all the time, regularly in my life. That, that's my hope for this morning. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, 
chapter 22. Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Or if you want to bring that up on your Bible app. I'm just going to like give grace and trust this morning that if you're reading it on your Bible app, you're not really checking the master scores and updates, you know, because they moved that to 9 a.m. this morning. So I'm trusting you're reading your Bible this morning. Sometimes that's the benefit of this, right? Like th- this has only one to read and spoken to. Like, you know, that, a phone has lots of purposes. This has one purpose. So, um, but whether you're following along on the app, on the screen, I want you to turn to Luke 22. Luke 22, 1 through 13. Let me read that. And just to give context, like, like we've talked about already, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's triumphantly entered into Jerusalem to the praises of Hosanna. And, uh, you know, it's what we call Palm Sunday. And, and events are, are about to spiral towards his, his terrible crucifixion and his marvelous resurrection. So Luke 22, this is how Luke sets this up. Verse 1. It says, now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and to the officers of the temple guard. And he discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and they agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Oh, thanks. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, Check this out. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and they found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. So here you have Peter and John. Okay? Peter and John, leaders of the disciples. Peter has been groomed to sort of be the leader of the disciples. You have John. He's the one that would become the last of the great apostles, the great disciples. He, he would become the great influencer of the theology and of the framework of the church. Isn't it kind of, I find it kind of interesting and sort of fascinating that, that Jesus chooses these guys to do such a menial task. So he chooses, I mean, Jesus isn't choosing the B team here. He's choosing the A team, you know, to, to go and prepare this particular Passover. He sends the best to get the practical details done well. And then what about, like, you ever wonder, like, what about this guy carrying the water? Like, what, how does he play into this? Like, like, what is that? Is that something that Jesus just knew maybe supernaturally that this guy would be walking, you know, along with a jar of water at that moment? Or is this something that maybe perhaps Jesus has prearranged in advance? You know, I'm not sure. I, I think the way Luke kind of presents this, it's probably the latter. You know, it, it's maybe a detail that Jesus has taken care of ahead of time. And he's just telling these guys, you know, what to look for. What is fairly agreed upon, you know, as, as we ponder this story in this moment, you know, what's fairly agreed upon in, in the memory of the early church 
is that, uh, you know, this house that they're going to, that this man with the water jar leads them to, is most likely the house of John Mark. Probably John Mark and, and his mother. Now, that should be a familiar name to most of us. If, you know, John Mark, um, we read about him. He, he assisted Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. He assisted Peter, you know, when Peter was in Rome. John Mark is uh, the one who wrote what we call the Gospel of Mark. Um, he, he went on to become the patriarch of the African church, you know, even a leader and a martyr of the church in Alexandria. This is probably his house. This is probably John Mark in his, his mother's house where, where they have this last supper, you know, Jesus and the disciples. It, it's also um, believed to be the, the location where um, the, the 120 disciples kind of camped out, you know, awaiting the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the upper room. This is probably that same upper room where, where Jesus has his last supper with his disciples. You know, it's almost like uh, John Mark and his mother's house become sort of the apostolic headquarters, you know, for the church in Jerusalem. It's, it's very significant. Um, and, and obviously, you know, it's thought that, that John Mark's mother was wealthy. I mean, this is a big house because most houses had a guest room or a pilgrim's room attached to them. Um, and obviously, if this is a room that could hold upwards to 120 people, this is probably a big house, and, and it's probably a, a big room. And, and obviously, you know, in this room for, for this occasion, for this moment, for this Passover meal, uh, is Jesus and his 12 disciples. But we don't know. It, it, there could have been others. There could have been others from the household that were present or other disciples. We're not sure. We do know for sure Jesus and the 12 disciples uh, were present for this occasion. So, so Peter and John, they go and they prepare the meal, that, which means like they got the Passover lamb and the, had the Passover lamb sacrificed and roasted whole. And they got all the other foods and elements that were all part of a Passover meal. So, so John and Peter take care of all the details. I also want to, you know, I, I think it's, it's not a coincidence and I think it's significant and worth pointing out. Luke, when he's, when he's telling us all this in his gospel, Five different times in what I just read, five different times Luke mentions the Passover. He, he mentions the Passover meal, that this meal with Jesus is the Passover meal. And that is so significant, isn't it? That, that's so significant. I wonder if sometimes we, we don't catch that, that this is the Passover meal. This, this is the meal that was instituted by God, first eaten that night before the Israelites were delivered from captivity and slavery in Egypt, what we call the Exodus, when God liberated his people. You guys remember that story? I mean, if you don't, um, let me tingle our, our memory. You know, remember um, God speaks through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh's resistant. His heart is hardened and he doesn't let God's people go. And so there's this series of plagues. Right there, there's like weirds, like frogs and grasshoppers, and the water turns to blood, and you know just this progression of plagues, and eventually the tenth plague is the angel of death. The angel of death is coming, and the angel of death is going to kill all firstborns in the land of Egypt, human beings and livestock, Israelites and Egyptians. Firstborn is going to is going to die on this night of that last plague, but. Remember the story. The Israelites' firstborns were saved. 
All the firstborns in the households of Israelites were saved. All the Israelite households that night experienced salvation. Why? Because the blood of a lamb. The blood of a lamb saved them. Exodus 12 is where we read about that. I just want to remind us. It's so good. I want to remind us of this story. So if you have a Bible or app and you want to switch back, I'm just going to read some and then I'm going to put a couple verses on the screen and then I'll read some more. But this is what happened in Exodus 12. Pull my ankle on that or anything like that. It says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And then he has provisions for if you have a smaller household, here's how you can kind of share. And he says this. The animals that you choose must be your old males without defect, You may take them from either the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then, remember this part? Verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood from that lamb and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And then here's some instructions. This is how you're to eat this meal. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. And then verse 12 says, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for all generations to come. You will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Then verse 17, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it is on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Death passed over. Death passed over all the households that were covered in the shed blood of the Lamb. The sacrifice of a Passover lamb saved God's people from death. And after 430 years in slavery, God's people were set free. The exodus from slavery in Egypt was the defining moment in the nation of Israel. And ever since that day, the people of Israel... Would, would annually remember that deliverance, that, that central salvation event through a meal, the Passover, the Passover meal. It's th- this is the meal. It's this meal centered on that event where salvation comes through the shed blood of a lamb that Jesus is about to eat with his disciples in that upper room the night before he is crucified. So let's go back to that story. Luke 22 Now we're going to pick it up in verse 14. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus and his disciples, I mean, you know, in typical Roman fashion, they're reclining around this table. Now, it wasn't a table, you know, a high table like this. In that culture, in that day, in in Roman fashion, this would have been a really, really low table just maybe a few inches off the ground, sometimes even elements set on the floor itself. And, and there would be cushions around it. And uh, the, what the, the participants would do, they'd recline on their side and they'd, they'd have an elbow on the cushion. And then with their other hand, they would eat and drink. So they're reclining around the table in this upper room at John Mark's house. And, and Jesus says, I have eagerly desired. I have eagerly desired to eat this meal. With you, and I've been reflecting on that. Like you know, that that's powerful. Like, uh, wh- why would he say that? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, one thought is I, Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. He, he's going to allude to it right after this meal, right after this moment. You know, he knows he's about to be betrayed by a friend. He knows that he's about to suffer and suffer greatly to to the point of death. Sometimes when you're suffering, you just need your friends around you right? You just, you need your friends around. I mean, think about it. Have you ever had something really hard or really challenging in your life and you knew when that was going to happen? You know, for instance, maybe it's a major scary surgery or an appointment with a doctor or a relationship that's maybe coming to an end. In those moments, don't you like, I, I just need some people around me. You know, I found myself reflecting about that, you know, just, I was thinking about one year ago, right? Like one year ago on Good Friday, um, I, I, Tori and Levi and JC were on their way to Florida in our minivan, and I was staying back in order to do the Easter service, and then I was going to fly down and join them. And so I was coming here for the Good Friday service, and you guys who have been around, you know this story. Like on my way here, I get a call from my mom that my stepdad had just had a catastrophic heart attack, and they weren't sure if he's going to live. And, and I'm like, where do, I mean, do I turn around and go home? Like, what do I do? And, and you know what? Like, I kept driving. Like, I, I, I pulled back out onto the road, and I drove to this place, and I walked in, and I gathered some friends, and we went into my office, and I shared with them what was going on, and they prayed. And then I came out here, and I, I sat among us. Because sometimes when there's something really hard and significant and challenging and scary going on, you just need the ministry of, of friends. You just need the presence. They don't even have to say anything. You just need people with you. I, I think some of that's going on right now for Jesus. He knows what's about to happen. And he, he, and he just, so he eagerly desires to be with his disciples right now, to be with his friends. I, I think that's partially why Jesus eagerly desired to have this meal with his disciples. But I also think, I wonder if Jesus eagerly desired to have this meal with his disciples because he wants to give them something. He has a gift he wants to give them. 
a, a practice that they can continue to practice and participate in to help them and to help us who come after them to keep going and not give up and after he's gone. I think also it's obvious as you read the, you know, what, the words of Jesus at this moment. I think also what's on Jesus' heart at this meal, aside from his upcoming suffering and his, his, his upcoming death, is, is an awareness that he has of the hope that his death and resurrection will ultimately lead to and bring about, you know, at the end of human history, the culmination and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. I mean, I mean, twice he hints at that, you know, in verse 16 and verse 18. He says, I tell you, I will not eat again until this finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I will not drink again from the fruit until the kingdom of God comes. You know, and I wonder if as Jesus, even in the midst of this Passover meal with his disciples, it, it, part of him is also thinking about uh, another meal down the road in the future that we sort of sang about, you know, just at the beginning of our gathering, th- th- this future feast in the house of Zion that, that Isaiah prophesied and talked about in, in Isaiah 25, 6, when, when he says that on this mountain, on Zion, on the, on the mountain of the Lord Almighty, will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wine. I mean, there's so much going on in this moment in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. As he shares these moments with his disciples as they recline around the table, it is absolutely no coincidence that Jesus chooses the context of the Passover meal. I mean, Jesus and his disciples, think about this. Jesus, his disciples, they've been eating the Passover meal for like all their lives. This is an annual thing for them. They come together and and they have the Passover meal, remembering that that central story in the life of Israel. And and understand, this this is a meal rich in symbolism. I mean, there's there's all these different foods and, and even these different cups of wine that represent different parts of the grand narrative of the Exodus story. It's a meal rich in symbolism. And it points towards the central salvation story in Israel's history up to that moment. That story that we read about in Exodus 12 where the blood of a lamb caused death to pass over, resulting in deliverance and salvation. So you have the richness and the power of this Passover meal instituted by God thousands of years ago. And you have these, these declarations in which Jesus said, there's another meal coming. You know, there, there's, a, there's a, a culmination ahead that, he, that, that Isaiah prophesied about, that, that, that Jesus even talked about, and Jesse talked about that last week. You know, the, 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 the messianic banquet, the, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb that you can read about in Revelation 19. You have what was, you know, reaching back to what was, and you have looking ahead to what will be. And in between, you have this supper. You have this meal that, that Jesus is having with his disciples. This, this meal with Jesus that, that we call the Last Supper, in, uh, that now we refer to as the Lord's Supper, during which Jesus takes the traditional Passover script. And he adds, he kind of goes off script a little bit. He sort of adds to this grand narrative. Uh, the, the, and he adds to it kind of the most central act of the story that's about to happen, the cross. 
the, the, the cross of Jesus. The Last Supper was not only looking back to the Passover. It's not just looking forward to what will be someday in the Messianic banquet. It's also pointing towards and looking ahead and symbolizing what's about to happen tomorrow. Good Friday. The crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. Jesus says this. It, I mean, they're such familiar words, but they're so powerful. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He says, this is my body given for you, broken for you. He takes the cup. This is my blood poured out for you. Now, in the disciples' defense, I'm not sure they understood what he was talking about. How could they? They're they're pre-crucifixion. They haven't witnessed this event yet. They haven't moved through that. You know, I'm guessing that for them at some level, like, what's he doing? What's he talking about? Like, I don't get it. You know, and and, and that's okay. For Jesus hadn't given his life on the cross. Later, I'm convinced, ah, they understood. They looked back and, and it connected. The dots connected. They got it. But we understand it. We get it. We understand what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is about to once and for all become the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. The next day, just like the bread, his body will be given and broken for the sins of the world. Just like the cup, his blood will be shed and spilled and poured out. Jesus will, will, on the cross, will bear our judgment. He will willingly give his life for ours. His sacrifice, death, and spilled blood will purchase our forgiveness. And just like that original Passover, the blood of Jesus the Lamb, daubed over the door frames of our lives, you know, sprinkled, covered the heart of our lives, you know, The Passover lamb's blood over our lives means death will pass over us. The cross means death is now swallowed up in life and in victory. Our sins have been atoned for. The curtain has been torn. And as Paul talks about it in Colossians, he says this. This is how he describes it. And there's so many verses we could look at where where Paul tries to summarize, you know, what this event means to us. He said, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through what? Through his blood. Through his blood shed on the cross. And and it's a reconciliation that, that we receive as a gift by grace through faith in Jesus, excuse me, in Jesus Christ. Jesus has shed blood. Jesus even refers to this, begins a new thing, begins a new covenant, Jesus says, a new covenant between God and humanity. I mean, go back, remember the old covenant at at Mount Sinai and Moses and God promises to be Israel's God if Israel would be his people. But as you read the story, you know, like um, it's a covenant they continue, continually broke and recommitted to and broke and recommitted to. And so Jesus says, enough of that. I'm going to do something once and for all. I'm going to do something new here. In this new covenant, 
I will, Jesus said, I will represent God and humanity. I'll fulfill both sides of the covenant. He, and God sort of contracts himself to be our savior. And the contract is signed and sealed and delivered in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. At that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples in that upper room, Jesus gives his disciples then and still us today this gift of a meal. This, this practice to remember, to remember what he did on the cross. But it's also, I think it's, just, it's, it's even deeper and bigger than just remembering. If we, if we switch ahead, kind of move ahead to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. In the book of Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians at least, the apostle Paul is sort of addressing um, the Corinthian church who've sort of gone wayward in both their understanding of the Lord's Supper and their practice of the Lord's Supper. So he brings some correction and he brings some reminders to the Corinthian church of, of what this meal is, is all about, of what it, what it means. And in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, he says this. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? It's more than just remembering. When when we come to the Lord's table, when we have this meal with Jesus, we, we are participating in a mysterious yet really tangible way with Christ in, in his sacrifice. The Lord's Supper isn't something we just simply read about in a story and, and have a memory of and an awareness of. The Lord's Supper, I mean, think about it. it it's something we do. It's something... We do, we, we, we touch, we taste, we, we literally take it inside of us. The Lord's Supper is something we participate in, not just in these moments when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It, it, it's something we participate in like daily. It, it's a daily picture and reminder for us of how to live. I mean, consider what Jesus does in this Lord's Supper. It says he takes the bread. And he blesses the bread. And he breaks the bread. And he gives the bread. Jesus' life is to be our pattern. As the people of God, I mean, we desire, we say it all the time, we desire to be like Jesus. We desire to do the things Jesus did. And and the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of how to do that. How how to live sacrificially. that, That we take our lives and we place it in God's hands. And God blesses us. And, and, and God breaks us. Sometimes that's necessary because he needs to break us of our selfishness. He, he breaks us and then he gives us to the world as an expansion, as an extension, as a reflection of his mission for the benefit of others. We, the Lord's Supper, this, this meal, you guys, is we come together and we remember and we participate and we also proclaim, if you, if you go just ahead in 1 Corinthians to chapter 11 now, Paul, he, he kind of summarizes it this way. And these are words that we use often. But just hear them again. Hear the power of these words. Paul says this to the Corinthian church and by extension to us today. 
For I've received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then think, did, catch these words. He says this, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that word proclaim. Proclaim. Every time when we celebrate, when, when we take this bread in this cup, we not only remember, we not only participate, but we proclaim this good news. We proclaim this good news. The Lord's Supper should be a meal that just like Jesus, we eagerly desire to have. It should be a meal that we eagerly and earnestly desire to eat. It's a meal that's to be approached with anticipation and with longing and with excitement and with joy. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a joyous occasion, a vibrant meal with friends, a feast, if you will. It's a powerful meal of enacted salvation. And I, I, I think as I've been reflecting on that this week, I think sometimes I miss that. And I reduce it. And maybe some of this is just our heritage and the way that we've been groomed. But, but I think sometimes we reduce it to this, this somber occasion. You know, and, and I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be reverent. We must be reverent when it comes to the body and blood of Jesus. But, but it's joyous. And, and sometimes I think we reduce it to like, like this really quiet like moment when I, I keep my eyes down and I come forward and I'm just... I killed Jesus, my sins killed Jesus, and I'm so overwhelmed by that. And, and we take just this teeny little piece of bread, and then we try to, just a quick dip. In. And I, I'm beginning, as, as I've reflected this week, like, I think this is meant to be like a celebration. I think this is meant to be an incredible gift that God has given the church to, to remember and to participate and to proclaim every time we feast in it, like, His grace and His salvation. I don't think it's a meal you, you, you must wait for the church to institute. I think it's a meal that, that we as followers of Jesus Christ should feel empowered to participate in all the time. I can envision like at a, at a missional community gathering. I think it could be as simple as, as you're having a meal together. But what if someone just kind of pauses for a second and just maybe reads these words and then, uh, you know, like go back to your eating, but, but just begin some bread you know, around the table and just start passing the bread and just share the words with each other. Christ's body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And, and maybe, you know, you read the words and you, you take whatever you're drinking and, and, and you know, Christ's blood shed for you. I, I just think, it, it, I think it's meant to be more common than it is um, every now and then. You know, I, I think of the early church. I, 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 you know, there's that, that passage in Acts, in Acts 2. I, I put it up here real quick. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And commentators are like, so are they talking about just a meal or the, the Lord's Supper? 
And I would say the answer probably is yes. It, it, I don't know if they always distinguished between the two. I, Jesus gave us this meal and the, 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 these practices in the context of a bigger meal. I think it's okay to incorporate the, you know, the Lord's Supper into our, our meals across the table with people, with your family. Have communion you know, with your family sometimes. It, it, it's, it's, meant to, it's a gift given to the body of Christ, to the church, to remember and to participate and to proclaim the good news of the cross. The, the meal that Jesus gives us is a meal of enacted grace. So I'm going to invite the band forward because it would be wrong not to conclude this gathering with the Lord's Supper. And, and as, as, we, as we prepare for that, I want to invite you to prepare reverently, you know, to, but also joyfully. Like, like to, to participate in this meal today joyfully. Um, rip off a big piece of bread if you want. Take a big dunk if you want. I mean, this is, these are good pictures that Jesus has given us. And we're meant to celebrate this. We're meant to joyfully um, experience this. So I'm just going to go back to, to this slide. And I'm just going to give you a minute um, to just kind of reflect, you know, to, to maybe ask the questions we always ask, like, what is God saying to you today? What is the Holy Spirit stirring in kindling in you? What's grabbing your attention today? What maybe in this story is, is Jesus speaking to you about today? And to just receive that from him. And as you reflect on that, and as you receive that, to also ask the appropriate follow-up question, okay, what am I going to do about it? You know, what, what is one thing maybe moving forward that I could do to, to stand on what Jesus is speaking to me today. So just spend some time with the Lord. And then uh, I'm going to invite the communion servers to come on forward at this time too and get ready. You guys reflect a little bit. And then we'll, uh, we're going to close out with singing some songs. We're going to have some fun and worship. Uh, you'll get that in just a little bit. Um, and, and we're going to um, also worship around the table. We're going to worship around the meal. We're going to have a meal with Jesus just like his disciples did in Luke 22 in that upper room. Um, so uh, as we begin to sing, as you're ready, come on forward. We usually, in, in our rows, we kind of leave to the left and return to the right just to kind of make it a little bit orderly. Um, but come on forward and, and, and have, have time in communion with your Savior this morning. Joyfully thanking him and remembering him and participating with him and proclaiming his death until he returns.